Amen. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to read the first 14 verses of the chapter. Exodus chapter 32, let's hear the word of God, reading of course from the authorized version. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, if you find the place appointed for the reading. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we would not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the morrow and, burnt, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down. For thy people which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed her unto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thy own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 14. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this evening is taken from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 32 and verses 4 and 5. And it reads as follows, And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf 
And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. Now, my theme tonight I've entitled Gospel Lessons from the Golden Calf Worship. Now, I believe that Exodus chapter 32 is one of the saddest chapters in the whole of the Bible. I would even add that it's probably one of the scariest. It ranks alongside 2 Samuel 11, where David, a man after God's own heart, fell into adultery and murder. It parallels with the Gospels accounts of Peter's denial of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. It ranks with the scripture that says, Demoth has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see, prior to Exodus chapter 32, the book of Exodus introduces us to Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, it's interesting. In Exodus chapters 1 and 2, it spans about 80 years of Moses' life. And then chapters 3 right up to chapter 18 spans about one year in Moses' life. And chapters 19 up to 32 span about 40 days of Moses' life. And then chapter 32 to 34 to the end of the book spans but a few days, the final days in Moses' life. Now, in Exodus chapter 32, we discover that Moses, the man of God, is up the mount of the Lord meeting with God himself. And that meeting takes part or place in two parts. In Exodus 20 to 23, God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law. He repeated that law because that law was already in existence. You, of course, know that that law was written on the tables of Adam's heart. Now it's been written in stone by the finger of God. He not only gave the moral law, but he gave the ceremonial and civil part of the law as well. So think of Moses up the mount, meeting with God, getting the statutes of the Lord to, to govern the life and witness of Israel. And we read in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 3, these words, here's the people's response and Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice, think of their unity, and said, the words which the Lord have said will we do. And then we read Moses and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord have said will we do and be obedient. Verse 8, Exodus 24, And Moses took the book and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Now from chapter 24, Moses, of course, is ascended up the mount again. And this time as he meets with God, he, he receives the plans for the tabernacle. 
He gets the instructions about the priesthood and the garments, the instruction about the furniture and about the sacrifices and the offerings. It's all a wonderful picture of the gospel. It's a wonderful picture of the personal work of the Lord Jesus. And you've got to think of uh, Israel, as far as the tabernacle witness concerned, everything points to Christ, to his saving, sacrificial, sanctifying, serving, supplying work. So you've got the picture. Moses, the man of God, the book of Exodus, Chapters 1 and 2, 80 years of Moses' life. Chapters 3 to 18, one year of Moses' life as the leader. The ten plagues, the leading of the children of Israel out into the wilderness and, and crossing, of course, the Red Sea. And then chapters 19 to 32, 40 days up the mount meeting with God. That meeting was in two parts. Now, while Moses was up the mount, Aaron, he's in charge of the camp along with her. And despite the display of God's glory and power that Aaron witnessed, Aaron sadly quickly yielded to the people's request. We read there in chapter 32, verse 1, these words, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we would not what is become of him. And we read in verse 4, And he received them at their hand, that was the gold earrings, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So I want you to think of Aaron fashioning a golden calf for Israel to worship. Now, ask yourself, how could he do that? How could a man who had some amazing encounters with God and seen some wonderful things of God's power and glory, how could he fall into idolatry so quickly? I think of what we read in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 10 and in the verses 11 and 12. Listen to the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verses 11 and 12, the Bible teaches, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the worlds are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest you fall. Now if you think, well I would never do what Aaron did, I would never be guilty of idolatry, then think again. You see, the sin of making and worshipping a golden calf is connected to the sin of idolatry. It was a sin of making the worship of God fit in with their thinking. They wanted a God to look like the gods of the nations who had just come out of Egypt. And they wanted a God that looked like the God of the Egyptians. And to them, this was a major event. Isn't it interesting that in the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, England, 2022, there was a lot of symbolism about the opening. There was a great mechanical bull brought into the arena with smoke coming out of its nostrils. There was people dancing all around it, people paying homage to it, people running around following it. And I thought to myself when I saw that, that's a picture of golden calf worship. And here it is in plain sight. Here it is on our TV screens. 
If you look again at Exodus 32, verse 1, Aaron told the people to break off their golden earrings, that they were large golden bands that were stretching from one ear to the other ear. And as they did so, we're told in verse 4, after he had fashioned the golden calf, the people said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now I put it to you tonight, this was an act of blatant idolatry. This was the beginning or the start of their apostasy from God. The people wanted a user-friendly God, a people, a God they could see and feel and touch. They wanted a compromising God. Think of Aaron's proclamation. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And then we read verse 6, and they rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And notice these words, rose up to play. Now, up to this point, Moses, remember, is up the mount. He's meeting with God. Moses is unaware of what's happening. And the Lord told him, and you can read that there in Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 right through to verse 10. And you can read what the Lord said. And at the start of the message in verse 7, the Lord told them, get thee down. Given the reason the people have corrupted themselves, they've sinned a great sin, and I'm going to destroy them. Then we have, of course, in verse 11, right through to verse 13, a great intercessory prayer of Moses. Moses comes down the mount. He comes into the camp. He breaks the two tables of stone in righteous anger. He confronts Aaron. He wants to ask why this has happened. And then he called for the people in the verse 26. Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And we read, And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Now you see, if it hadn't have been for Moses' selfless praying, interceding between him and God, and Moses' strong leadership confronting sin in the camp, and Moses' spiritual discipline in dealing with sin, God could have, and probably would have, disowned Israel and started with a new people. And as I thought about this golden calf worship, putting into my mind this mechanical bull that was displayed in Birmingham, people dancing around it and following it. I thought to myself this, what gospel lessons can we learn from this golden calf worship? And here's the first lesson. The recognition of the great sin of idolatry. If you look with me in this chapter, and we didn't read the verse, Exodus chapter 32, verse 21, and Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people unto thee that thou brought so great a sin upon them? Now think with me in the recognition of this great sin of idolatry, think of the cause of it. What was the cause of sin? And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin on upon them? In other words, it was Aaron's weak leadership. Aaron allowed the children of Israel to fall into the horrible and terrible sin of idolatry. The people had come to him. 
Up make us gods which shall go before us. They argued, as for this Moses, we, we don't know what has become of him. Now Aaron could have said no. Aaron could have protested. He could have stood firm. He, he could have confronted their demand as being a, a, a sinful command. He could have pleaded with them, don't be so impatient. Don't do so wickedly. You see, Aaron is the leader in the camp was guilty of spiritual compromise. He gave in to the people's demands. Now, you could have thought the brother-in-law of Moses had been strong enough not to give in to their commands, but he wasn't. Remember, he that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. And I think of the words of the apostle Paul, even to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and in the verse 16, the apostle Paul said this, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now think not only of the cause of it, but think of the craving for it. The people came to Aaron and said, Up, make us gods. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. He, he, in other words, he could be dead for all we know. You see, the people grew anxious and impatient. They'd been out of Egypt probably about 15 months, a year and a quarter. And they thought, well, we're not going to live here in the wilderness. And we're certainly not going to die here. They were tired of waiting. They grew impatient. And in their hurry, they exposed themselves to great error of judgment. And I want you to notice they attributed their departure from Egypt not to God, but to Moses. They viewed their departure as a human man-made experience, not as a divine act of God. They, they were disrespectful of Moses. Notice what they said in verse 1. As for this Moses... The man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not what is become of him. I want you to think also of the corruption of it. Think of these words. These be thy gods, O Israel. How did God describe it? Well, if you look with me at Exodus chapter 32, verse um, 7, he says... Go get thee down, for thy people which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You see, here's a reference to the golden calf. They're, they're looking at it. They're, they're, they're talking about it. They're pointing to it. And they're saying among themselves, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. King David described this in a powerful way. He said in Psalm 106, verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. You see, they wanted a God that they could see and feel. A user-friendly God. A compromising God. Why? 
the golden calf. Because they wanted a God they could see and touch and feel. Why do certain places and peoples have statues? Why do they have candles? Why do they have crosses? Why do they bless themselves with holy water and bow down themselves to them and and pray to them and, and make all sorts of religious gestures? It's just a sign, as God says about Israel, that they have corrupted themselves. It's a sign of the depravity of their human heart. You see, it's human depravity. It's, it's in the human nature or the human gene to lust after and prone to the sin of idolatry. And that's true of us all. I want to tell you tonight that's even true of the Free Presbyterian Church. Because we're all idolatrous at heart. And we're all fascinated by idolatry. And sometimes we can think, well, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to harm you. But at its heart, it's proof of the corruption of the human heart. Doesn't the Bible proclaim that salvation's of the Lord? Salvation's not the work of a great leader. Neither Moses, nor Paul, nor any other man. It's not man that saves, much less a man-made idol. Remember what we read in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2 and in the verse um, 4 and 5. We read uh, these tremendous words. Listen again to uh, the word of God. It's always wise to compare things uh, to the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Listen to the scriptures. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Not only think of the cause of it and the craving for it and the corruption of it, but think of the character of it. You know, I I thought of this. Idolatry exists. It existed in ancient Israel. It exists today. Idolatry is alive and well. And we're all vulnerable to tolerate it. And yet, when we think of the character of this great sin, it was disobedience to the word of God. They had heard the Ten Commandments read in their presence. They had pledged all that the Lord has said we will do. We'll obey every word. Exodus 24, verse 3. And yet, this golden calf that they were worshipping was a departure from that word and disobedience. It was a departure, yes, from a life of dependence on the Lord. It was inexcusable, but it was a departure from a clear and plain command of God. And it led to other sins. Let me tell you, it led to the degradation of their worship. Not only was it disobedience to the word of God, but it led to their degradation of their worship of God. These be thy gods, O Israel. What is God? Our catechism teaches us God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and changeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. What is God like, just as I described? What did Aaron do? He fashioned a God like a calf. A golden calf, a molten calf. Why? Because one of the chief gods of the Egyptians taught that God was like a calf. 
and had the strength of a bull calf. That's where the mechanical bull calf in Birmingham came into view. In other words, God is like a bull calf. God is like an agus. And yet, the sad reality is these people were vain and dark in their imagination, along with Aaron and the people. Remember what we read there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, and it says this in verse um, 21, because that they... Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but become vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. That's what they were doing. And millions tonight are vain and dark in their imagination. They're worshipping a God of wood, a God of stone. They're offering to them. They're sacrificing to them. They can neither speak, see, hear, nor do anything for them. Men are worshipping a God of their own imagination, making a God out of things, whether it's money, work, education, the farm. They they don't love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They they don't love the living and the true God. They, They make no approach to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember there is no true approach to God. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Now notice something else. In this character. It is not only disobedience to the word of God. And a degradation of their worship of God. But it leads to a defilement of their witness for God. Look with me at Exodus chapter 32 verse 6. And they rose up early in the morrow and offered what? Burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The young people, they weren't going to play golf or football or any game. The word play here actually means sinful immorality. If you look at chapter 32, verse 19, It says, and it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto their camp, this is Moses, that he saw the calf. Notice these words, and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. We'll come back to that. Notice the word dancing. Now come to chapter 32, verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked... For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. You can see what a terrible sin it is. That this was lustful, sinful, immoral behavior amongst them. I have to progress quickly here. Think of the charge of it. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 32, verse 7, go get thee down. Why? He explained to him in chapter 32, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. And he told them these words, verse 8, Not only have they corrupted themselves, but they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. He said they have made a a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. In other words, the Lord is telling Moses, The people have sinned against me. 
The people have committed adultery. The people have turned aside quickly out of the way which I command them. In other words, they're guilty of a gross sin. Now here's the point that the Lord knew. Moses is on the mount, and at this moment, he doesn't know what's taking place until the Lord reveals it to him. But the Lord knew. And you know what? The people can hide their sin from the prophet, the preacher, their parents, their pals. But there's a Lord in heaven who knows all things. He knows all things that are taking place in the life of every individual. The Lord sees and knows all your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. Remember what we read there in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's a God in heaven, and he sees and knows your sin of thought, word, and deed. And one day you'll give an account of your life to him. He's describing it. They've, They've departed from me and my words. Notice how quickly... Forty days before, they were saying all that the Lord says we will do. And a group of people come to Aaron. And, 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 and they asked Aaron, up, make us gods. And very quickly, they depart from that solemn vow to obey the Lord. Does that describe you tonight? Maybe there was a time in your life when you've pledged that you would love the Lord and serve him and obey him and follow him and stand by him and live by the book. But where are you now tonight spiritually? Have you gone AWOL? Have you gone astray? Have you quickly fallen back? You see, there's a warning here, young people. Forty days before all that the Lord says we'll do. Maybe there's a professing child of God tonight in the house and you sing God's praise. You pray to the Lord and ask for help. You read the scriptures. You listen to the sermon. You pledge yourself in the past. I'll go through with God. I'll serve him. But somewhere down the line you were tempted and tonight you've fallen into sin and you've gone back. I want you to think of one final thing. Think of the complaint against this great sin this golden calf worship Aaron made an altar Aaron called it by way of proclamation verse 5 tomorrow is a feast of the Lord notice the word lords in capitals it's a reference to Jehovah here's the name of Jehovah mixed with idol worship Aaron is calling for God to be worshipped in a wrong way. Aaron is calling for using the idol to worship God. And Aaron's saying it's okay. But it's not. It's corruption. It's mixing truth with error. It's the worshipping of God with idolatry. It's destroying the very nature of the worship of God. You see, notice the defilement of worship leads to the defilement in morals. Remember the words, and the people rose up to play. That's immoral sexual activity. A departure from God's word and worship always results eventually in a departure from God in relation to morality. And that's a tragedy. That's a travesty. This was a fleshly indulgence. 
And you know, the sad reality is that images have begun again to creep into so-called Protestant churches. Crosses and candles and the burning of incenses and the chanting that's going on. And it seems to be accepted. You see, there's a mixing of truth and error. There's a using of this to, to worship God. That's exactly what the Church of Rome is guilty of. The Church of England is guilty of. But I say tonight it's all contrary to the mind of the Lord. It's contrary to his word. And any that encourages the use of images and statues and crosses and candles, thinking that they're using them to represent God, saying to the people that it's okay, you, you can worship them, you can pray to them, you can, you can leave little messages before them. This was the same thing that Aaron was guilty of. They're very superstitious. That's why I said we're vulnerable to it. That's why I said we could be fascinated by it. There's the recognition of the great sin of idolatry. Now, my time is gone. I want you to just think secondly, very quickly, the repudiation of the great sin of idolatry. God told Moses to go down the mountain and confront this sin. Moses was tasked by God to go down the mountain and confront their sin. And it's not part of the minister's calling to confront sin, to point out sin, to call for its recognition, its repudiation, to call for repentance. Over there in the book of Titus, Titus was a young minister appointed by the apostle Paul uh, as the congregation had called him to minister to them. And the apostle Paul's advice to him was these things speak and exhort. And rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. He said to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. You see, no matter what the sin is, who is sinning, where it arises, the man of God, who's been true to the Lord, must speak the truth in love, but he must confront the sin. You see, this was a spiritual problem. God said this is a stiff-necked people. When they come down into the camp, Joshua said, it's the noise of war. And Moses said, no, it's the noise of wickedness. Now, how did Moses confront the sin? Three things very quickly. He symbolically broke the law. He had the two tables of law in his hand, representing the Ten Commandments, four in the relationship to God, five to ten in the relationship to fellow man. He saw the calf. The Bible says, and the dancing. Did you notice that in verse 19? He saw the calf. And the dancing. You see, this worshipping of the calf, this was not of God. This was not a, a, a representation of the living and the true God. This dancing, remember, they're naked. This dancing and worship is not okay. Dancing is not a true part of worship. This calf, that the people were dancing before, sacrificing to, offering their offerings to. And God's man saw it, he was angry, with a righteous anger. As I've said, dancing, I believe, is no part of the public worship of God. I know that people argue David danced before the Lord, but it was not in the temple, and it was not in the tabernacle. This was sinful, immoral, lustful dancing. These people were naked. They were, they were semi-naked. You see, they had departed from the word and the worship of God, and now they're departing in their morality. And Moses, in anger, broke the tables of the law. And it was a powerful symbol 
As he broke the tables of stone, he's saying to them, you have broken God's law because sin is the transgression of the law. Each and every one of you that's participating in this idolatry, you're a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker in every thought, word and deed. He not only symbolically broke the law, but very quickly, he spoke bravely to the leader. Who was the leader? Aaron. So we addressed him. He left him in charge, Exodus 24 and 14. And he says in verse 21, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Aaron, you facilitated, you have couraged, you have aided this idolatry. Why? Do you know that Exodus 24, 14 mentions her? It's widely believed by the commentators, hers never mentioned again in the Bible after Exodus 24 and verse 14, that the people had killed her. That he was martyred. And the people were so angry that her had stood against them that they put him to death. And Aaron feared for his life. So when they said to him, up make us gods, he then complied. But Moses went to the source. And she's always right to go to the source. Whether the sins in the church or sins in the country... You must go to the source and speak the truth of God in love and inform them that they're going to be held to account. God is love, God is holy, but he's also a God of wrath. God is angry with the wicked every day. He, he hates sin. He's outraged at sin. He spoke bravely to the leader. That's how he confronted the sin. And also, there was a side who believed in the Lord. Look at verse twenty. Six, and Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Here's the gospel call of the Old Testament. At the foot of the mount, who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the side of the Savior? Who's on for salvation? Who wants a life of separation, a life of sanctification, a life of security, a life of satisfaction? The opposite of that is who's on the side of Satan? Who's in love with sin? Who wants the sentence of death and to know the terror of hell? You see, there had to be a public confession. There had to be a publicly siding with the Lord. And what do we read in Romans chapter 10 and in verse 9 and 10? A tremendous encouragement from the Apostle Paul's pen. Listen to these words, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and to believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. To those who are lawbreakers, regardless of their age, regardless whether they're male or female, they're urged to come to the Lord's side. They're urged to confess sin. Moses said, come and stand by me. There was a side who believed in the Lord. That's how he confronted the sin. One final thing, and our time is gone, redemption from the great sin of idolatry. There was a blood sacrifice here that was required. I can't go into it, but there was the shedding of blood. And also, there was not only a blood sacrifice, but there was a bold supplicatory request. Moses called on the Lord for Israel, a prayer of intercession by the lawgiver. Listen to this as we finish. Exodus chapter 32, verse 31. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Ah, this people have sinned a great sin 
and have made them gods of gold, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Is that not compassion? Is that not love? Is that not a desire for the well-being of lost souls? Is that not a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Moses was willing to give up himself, even if it meant he was blotted out of God's book. A picture of Paul, Romans 10 and 1. It was refused by God. But you think of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself not for his kinsmen, but for his enemies. Romans 5 and 12. Romans 5 and 8, but God commanded his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Savior became the supplicator. He's the prophet to teach and tell us the way of salvation. He's the priest who offered the sacrifice and makes intercession. He's the king who calls to repent and believe the gospel. Thank the Lord there was recognition of this great sin. There was a repudiation of it. But there was also redemption from it. There was a people who were on the Lord's side who were saved by the power of sacrifice and prayer. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to you. I thank you for coming tonight.